0: Visual storytelling. The images that make an impression, that connect with ideas and emotion and create an impact in our audience. We're talking today about pictures. They say a picture's worth a thousand words, a great picture is worth a whole lot more. Joining me for this conversation is Abby Fink, Vice President and General Manager of HMA Public Relations and a special guest. Abby, what's on your mind?
1: Well, you know, when I was in journalism school and we had to select whether we were going to do editorial, public relations, or photography, and I had absolutely no eye for photography. My, my subjects were off-center, they were blurry, and I'm like, this is clearly not going to be where my career takes me. My first assignment in my first job out of college was to, to go take pictures of something i'm like why what is this why can't you understand i don't know how to do this And I'm not sure that I'm any better at it now all these years later, but I recognize the value of, you know, having imagery to accompany the words that we say and that it, you know, so much of us um, are attracted to the visual element of something. Our eye is drawn to that in a story or we notice something, you know, hanging on the wall, that visual thing. And so it's become... Painfully obvious to me that um, I, I I need to understand it a lot better. Um, but at least at the very bottom line is make sure that we are always considering that visual component when we're putting together, you know, our strategies, our communication strategies for our clients. And so I thought it would be really interesting today to bring on an expert in that visual storytelling. And uh, it's my pleasure to have Paul Bowers with us today. Uh, Paul and I met several years ago at a public relations conference, where he was leading a workshop on just that the idea of um, using visual and imagery to help tell us our stories. And I just want to read something from his bio because I think this will help set uh, the tone for what we're we're talking about. He says, I create an environment of emotional safety and playfulness that encourages the subject to become part of the creative process. And I think that's so important, right, especially in the people part of taking pictures. So it is my pleasure to invite Paul Bowers to join us today. Thank you, Paul.
2: Hey, how are you?
1: Doing terrific. Thank you. Tell So just Give us a little bit of your background and kind of how you came to this um, approach, I guess, in, in terms of how you uh, take a look at a subject and think about it from a visual perspective.
2: You know, like most things, oh, oh, it's a lot of mistakes. <laughs> um, I actually started, uh, I wanted to uh, be uh, an advertising agency owner. So I went to school in marketing and I learned some graphic design and in the background I was always playing in photography since I was a little kid. Um, I was the school AV monitor and I pushed the projectors around and I actually loaded film and touched film and handled film and was fascinated by it. And so as I got older, um, I was fascinated by the whole advertising thing. Uh, I was right on the edge of the Don Draper era. And um, I I thought, well, that looks like a fun career. Um, I, But I also wanted to be self-employed. So I got my little marketing degree and um, set out to find a job. And I was not having any luck. People were not hiring me um, for one reason or another. And in the meantime, I got a job uh, as a photo assistant. And I started looking at it and so saying, wow, this is kind of fun. And then I started looking at the power and potential of using images to help people sell things or help people convince, convince them of things. Um, there is no more powerful. And Abby, I know you're a word person, but there, it, it's nowhere near as powerful as words. by the time somebody has the time to read a paragraph, I already have them. I've already had them a long time ago. Um, I got them before they even read the fancy written paragraph. So I started taking pictures. And pretty soon I stopped looking for jobs and there I was. Paul, let's talk about that for a second, because I think it's really important. For the
0: vast majority of humans with sort of typical capabilities, vision is the primary sense. And it's tied in so many profound ways to our uh, survivability, like our ability to take in some small piece of information and begin acting on it before the saber toothed tiger jumps out of the bushes and eats us is part of what's kept us alive. And so in some ways we take vision for granted because we don't often see how we see we simply see the things we think we see. And any cognitive scientist will tell you that it's a very interesting disconnect between what's actually there and what you see. Well, that's a whole other rabbit hole to go down. But what you said about the quickness and the power of the image, I think, is really important and it probably has some profound implications for the storytelling, for the marketing, for the communication. Tell me a little about that.
2: A lot of what I have photographed and subsequently video um, in in my career has been all about um, people. I photograph a lot of people and. I have to explain to others who don't know this subject, this individual, exactly who this person is, Um, and I have to provide them with not only who the person is, not what they look like, mind you. That's that's a common misperception is that a photographer is going to show you what a person looks like. Um, if I've done that, then I've fallen short. I have to show you what that person is like or what I want you to believe that person is like. Um, and there's all kinds of ways of doing it. But um, it's first get their attention. And there's numbers of technical ways to do that. You got rods and cones and eyes and, and there's there's contrast and there's color. Um, there's movement in particularly in video. So we have a lot of different ways of getting people's attention, tapping into the whole saber tooth tiger thing and then expanding on it by the content of the image. So I get their attention. I get them to look. And then I get them to have a certain perceived value attached to that individual or even a product. Um, and and that's kind of the secret sauce of photography.
1: So Paul, you know, the I think the you know, from my perspective, when we're talking with clients and we're developing communication strategy, it's rising to the top a little bit quicker when we talk about what imagery we need to accompany, you know, whatever it is we're developing. If we're developing social media content, if we're de- developing a brochure, Or we're sending out a news release, you know, what imagery do we have to go along with it? And over the years, of course, that's evolved from, um, you know, now that we all potentially think we can do this ourselves. Um, But I've always said that there's really no, there's no substitute for that more professional approach to something that, you know, yes, we can snap off a quick photo and send it along but the the end result where it needs to go and where it needs to be and and to your point about what do we want them to know when they're looking at this picture has to come from a you know much more strategic approach you have to really think about how this imagery and whatever version that is is going to help tell and carry forward really what the messaging is if we think about it strictly from a marketing perspective it's not just the pretty picture that accompanies the words these have to be part of and thoughtful part of everything we're doing from a strategy perspective in that that a professional approach and, and and at least in my view, bringing that conversation in at the beginning, not as an afterthought, is so critically important to the success of what that imagery is going to be for this particular campaign. Agree?
2: Well, I obviously will agree with anything that you say, Abby.
1: (laughs) Well, well, you've now become my favorite guest.
2: (laughs) I knew that. Um, The the answer is, of course, uh, unequivocally yes. And uh, um, I tend to look at photography, image making, video. uh, There's hardware and there's software. Um, Hardware meaning... People that know how to technically execute an image, people that know, you know, what camera to use, um, what lens to use, these kind of things. And truly, that is the lesser important part than the software part. Um, When you're trying to, that is when you're trying to use images to influence. Um, Now, in your example, an advertising agency. Um, should have creative partnerships with people that are creating images for them where they're still or moving and include those at the very beginning. You know, I love it when agencies call me up and say, Hey, we've got a new client and we have to find a way to um, accurately tell their story and photography may be part of it or may not, but how would you approach this creatively and what would you do and what are the tools that you would use to tell this individual story in the most effective and persuasive way. Um, s- instead, what I get sometimes is, hey, Paul, we need you to take a picture of this guy. Well, I'm happy to do that. I, I am into it for the money. Um, I am paid for it. And so I will go take that picture. But that leaves a lot of my capability on the table when you do that, Um Uh, I might have a different approach, a different way. I want might want to say something different that is going to increase the power of the message that you're trying to get. So it's very helpful to bring in a person with whom you have a strong relationship. Um, And if you don't, you start developing them and talking to people and talking to people the same as you would a copywriter or um, a, a graphic designer the more they know about your goals and the more clearly your goals are defined, which is another thing because sometimes people don't go through that process. But the more you have those goals defined, the better I'm gonna be able to help you out with that. Even if it's to the point of, you might not wanna put this person on video. I've met this person, let's not use video for them. Let's use a solid still image rather than a, um, a video. Or if I were to meet the person that you're talking about or some of the people you're talking about, I can say, these are great storytellers. Let's video them. Let's figure out a way to do it in a budget effective way so that we can help tell their story. And those are very effective decisions.
1: So in essence, you're becoming um, a critical part of the the strategy team long before actually doing whatever the tactic is that, you know, they've brought you in to do you're 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 involved with those early discussions, the, you know, the messaging and the development and the concepts are all part, you know, bringing in this team and, and Adrian, you and I have talked about, you know, who's part of your communications team uh, in, and the, you know, bringing in that, that um, the visual component is, should be part of that early stages as much as it is, you know, who's going to write those words or who's developing the you know media training or whatever it might be. That creative concept needs to be part of that discussion early on as well.
0: Let's talk about some of the blind spots, though, that keep uh, agency owners and people managing projects from realizing the critical importance of this because you know, we live in a world where business can be sometimes more of the same, more of the same or, can be like, well, we're looking at what our competitors are doing, we're looking at what clients have done in the past, and we're sort of going to do more of that thing because it's safer, because you know we know we can bring that in under budget with a healthy margin. And at the end of the day, you know, managing P&Ls is, is an important part of making your agency survive. So to make the case that, hey, you know what, we should pause for a second, we should think differently, we should see differently, we should bring in other perspectives because we're gonna make better work and we're gonna get better results for the client may not be immediately obvious, even though as we sit here and comfortably talk about it, it's obvious to us. So how do you, Paul, in these conversations with the agencies who maybe aren't there yet, how do you even broach the topic? How do you get them to see that having the calculation is only part of it and that the creativity is an equally important part? In other words, what I would often call that tension between math and magic. You've got to make both of them happen. How do you get people to begin this conversation with you?
2: Well, it's dating. Truly, it's dating. Um, You, I shouldn't say you, I should say one, because Abby's a writer. One should associate themselves with people that understand this. One should understand that there's, um, there's a lot of ego involved. And we see this with managers that refuse to hire people that are better than they are. Um, And if you're not hiring people that are better than you are, then you're really not a very good manager. Um, And so a lot of finding these relationships is nurturing the ones that are working well and deciding the other ones whether um, whether they should be continued or not. Now, I I certainly have clients and have had many clients over the years for whom I just execute what they want. They tell me this. um, They show me examples. They give me mood boards. They say, Paul, I want you to take a picture that looks like this. And I say, okay, it's going to cost this much. And they say, okay. It's like, fine. I get new motorcycle parts that week. Um, The better clients, the ones that I get to know through that process I can start nurturing a little bit. I say, have you considered that this is an individual that is associated with the environment? Perhaps we we photograph them in an environment rather than on a blank uh, paper background um, and try to signal to people that there are other ways of doing this. And um, they may or may not be better, but I have an obligation as a professional to suggest them. Um, Sometimes they take it up and sometimes they don't. Uh, I have, um, okay, we'll go to pet peeves, right? Just, we're going to go quickly there. Um, uh, whenever you go to an event, say a gala or something, and you see a podium there and you have people standing behind a podium talking with papers that they're shuffling, you're signaling to all the people in there that you are pretty much behind the times. Um, that you have an old construct and um, you better hope that your audience in that particular gala wants that. Now, when COVID happened and we could no longer have galas, I was successful in transitioning one of my clients to doing, um, we rented a theater and we did a more TED Talk type format where people are walking and talking and gesticulating. Um, fortunately it's video because I, so I can feed them the line and they can feed it back, but it's a way of stepping up the game that they might not have otherwise done had COVID not come along. Um, so there's, there's opportunities along the way to help people shift their approach. Well, I want to underline something you said, because it really
0: makes this distinction clear when we pause and reflect about it. Most people are, are aware of Ted talks now it's become a format that is widely consumed And what most people might associate with TED Talks is compelling 18-minute speeches, right? What they may not realize, but what you just pointed out uh, implicitly and automatically, is that the TED format was also a visual style. It was not just a way of structuring a talk that was start with a story bring in some evidence bring in your personal journey da, 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 right so the ted format is a visual format as much as a speech structure format and it's not like nobody had ever done that before but they made that the thing they did with the red carpet circle and the you know the dark background and the logo so they basically were creating a visual style along with the structure of the speech. And that's what you're suggesting can be done in almost any arena. Find a way to innovate, find the art, find the difference and run with it.
2: Yeah. And, and, and I completely agree. What, what Ted did was kind of um, contemporize the pipeline of conveying information by a, a spoken word rather than behind a podium, get out, walk around. And, there, and the fascinating thing about a TED is part of that has to do with technological advancement. Uh, one is video, multi-camera video. The other are prompters down um, below and low rather than having to have papers. So here's what happened. That TED presentation format became almost inseparable from the theme, which is uh, high credibility, contemporary content, and You believe what those people say. You, you, so I just play on it and I say, okay, I'm going to put people in that environment. I'm going to shoot video of them doing that. And I've actually told some of the subjects you could be speaking in Swahili, but the fact that you are in this environment and photograph this particular way means that you automatically have high credibility. People will believe what you say, even if they can't understand it. Now think about that. That is hugely powerful. Even if people don't click through and listen to the video and watch the video, just that they're presented with the visual of a person in that environment and associated it with the brand, you've become successful. That's the basis of advertising. Create a mood and associate a brand. Um, There's a there's pejorative ways. um, Let's call it mind foolery, but nevertheless. That's what I'm doing. This
1: is a family-friendly show, Paul.
2: (laughs) So with the mind foolery like that, you use these visuals, whether video or just still work. You use them, you serve them to the audience, and then you attach the brand to it. And then you're successful. I know Abby has something to say. I want to quickly just connect back to something we've talked about
0: in another context to make these connections for our listeners. When we talked at length about fake news and how fake news works, by pretending to be real news, visually, the same Chiron lower third at the bottom of the screen with the ticker scroll, the same logo in the upper right, the live kind of flashing. All they're really doing is staging something that has credibility and using that to communicate at least half of the message. Abby?
1: Right. So, Paul, you know, one of the things that you said in your in your bio was this, you know, creating the environment for emotional safety and playfulness. And I think when we're talking about, you know, the biggest hesitancy that we get from our clients is I don't like my picture taken. I don't like the and and I will be top of the list. I don't like what my hair looks like. It's whatever. I mean, go down the list of the reasons I'd rather. And can't you just use that headshot of me from, you know. 19, whatever. And, and, and then so much of that conversation is why we need to do it. But, but for me, bringing in someone like yourself is I'm trusting you in the process to help my clients understand that they are in good hands, that they're going to be taken care of, that your job is to make them look good and comfortable and that they're pleased with the outcome. And um, and I'd am i like to talk a little bit about sort of that, you know, if, if we've gone through all the process and we're now to that point where we've got the shoot scheduled, how are you creating this, you know, sense that, you know, you are, have the best interest in heart, that it is your goal and your, you know, responsibility to make sure that the subject of this photo is, is coming in the best possible way. And so that I, as the subject, feel comfortable. And, and, and obviously, if I loosen up a little bit, my smile is more natural. My body stance looks better. I mean, it's, gonna, it's going to create a better subject. But talk a little bit kind of about what your process is in that room once you've got that person kind of committed to the idea to help them get to that sense of playfulness and really be, you know, an active participant in the process.
2: I'm sorry, that's Proprietary.
1: Okay, thank you so much. (laughs) That concludes our program for today. (laughs) Um,
2: There is there is sort of a magic sauce, but I I have to rewind a little bit to what you're saying is that um, I'm only partially responsible for the successful execution of a photograph, particularly of an individual. And I can and I'm still not completely there, but I'm still I'm still disappointed when a subject doesn't like their photograph. Now, I can look at the photograph and I can see that it is really well done and that I have the best performance, so-called performance, I'm going to get from that individual. But the truth is, it's still a lot of it has to do with the person sitting in the chair. Now, I'll tell you and I'll get to that exactly what my sort of secret sauce is for that. But um, let's be sure. First of all, I don't think everybody should be photographed. Um, I don't like to be photographed. I I really don't. I'm very uncomfortable with it. It's the wrong side of the camera. And I'm sure Dr. Sigmund Freud would say that's why I became a photographer, to assure my position on the opposite side. Nevertheless, um, is it important that the person is photographed? And are they interested and capable of working with the photographer to try to get the best shot? Um, a classic example of this, it was a uh There was a recent NPR, I think it was not NPR, it was on PBS, um, about uh, rock and roll photography. And if you haven't seen it, it's awesome. I can't recommend it enough. But it's showing hundreds and hundreds of images that were shot in the 50s, 60s, 70s of rock and roll icons. And every one of these images is awesome, shot beautifully, and, and you feel all the emotion from it, right? And my wife and I are sitting there watching this and and I'm looking at the technique, the techniques with old school cameras, one light film, nothing sophisticated about those techniques whatsoever. And often they were shot just on the fly. Right. The, The thing that joins them all together is that people were photographing performers. These are performers. They're used to, to making love to the camera is the old way of saying it. They're used to performing in front of the camera and they're very comfortable. That's what links all those images together and what makes them all so powerful is not the technical execution, but the fact that somebody knows how to work a camera. That's a talent that um, not everybody has. And the somebody who knows how to
0: work a camera is the subject that's being Photographed.
2: That's correct. Yeah. It's not not how to set the shutter speed and, and the uh, aperture. They are knowing what they look like and they're direct in their um, enthusiasm to convey a message to the photographer. When I photograph a professional model, it's like a walk in the park. I can give them all kinds of directions and they they these are magic people. They know how to do it. Now, I have a career of photographing CEOs for annual reports and for um, any, any number of other reasons, and um, sometimes they're good at it and sometimes they're not. How much of this is a kind of emotional intelligence? Yes, um, but a certain type of it. And now, to answer your question, and this is a very long-winded uh, preamble, but For those of you listening, we're all connected by visual. So I can see Abby waving your hand saying, yeah, no problems."
1: (laughs) Keep talking. Keep talking.
2: I'll tell you my magic sauce. And my assistants and my crew are so tired of hearing this thing every time somebody sits in my chair in front of the camera. But it happens, starts with someone myself or someone, someone has said, you're scheduled for a photograph. Um, it comes in an email. It's going to be Monday at, at, at 10 o'clock in the morning. You're going to such and such a place. All right. Well, that directive is, can be a little intimidating, particularly for a person that does not really feel comfortable about it. They don't know what they're getting into. So, either I personally respond to that email um, and cut out the person that's contracting the whole thing. So I'm establishing a personal relationship from the very get go, or I have the person in charge, the agency person convey this information first, that it's going to be fun. Second, you're not going to be required to smile. That is such an important thing. I am not going to make you smile. I've been shooting um, non-professional models for over 40 years. Never one time have I ever said smile. Um, You are not going to be, um, well, I'm not going to force you to do something that you're not comfortable with in front of a camera, meaning smile is the first one. I'm not going to overpose you. I'm going to make it casual. It's a conversational environment. Um, Bring whatever you'd like to wear. Now, I have in my head, I don't want them wearing certain things, but it's the beginning of giving permission. So that happens at the email level well before they ever show up at my studio. When they arrive, hey, how are you? Very informal. I make sure if I'm, sometimes I'm photographing a number of people that day. So their first um, human touch when they arrive at the location or the studio is not me. It's generally my makeup artist. Um, I hire a makeup artist first based on personality. They got to have the personality first. Then I look at their work. The reason is they're the first contact for that subject. And how that subject perceives the whole process is critical to me. I want them warmed up. I explain to my makeup artists, please tell them you've been working with me for years. I'm a great guy. I'm so much fun to work with. You're going to have a good time.
1: See, that's where those words still matter.
2: Words still matter. Words still matter. So anyway, they're, they're warmed up along the way. When they come to me, I always have some instruction about where they're going to sit and how they're going to get there. I say, hey, there's some cables on here. We're going to walk your way back. I generally walk with them to wherever they're going to sit to be part of this photograph. It's not that I'm so concerned that they're going to knock something over. I want them to know that they're guided through this process, that they have somebody to carry them through it, that it's not sit over there and make good faces, right? <laughs> Which is what they're really afraid of. They're afraid that somebody's gonna say, sit over there, and make good faces, and they're 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 gonna choke, then they're gonna feel awkward, and then they're they're gonna have a picture that's cast in stone for the rest of their lives. Um, so I walk literally walk them through the process. If I feel a, a subject is particularly afraid, I will sit in the subject chair. I will have them say, why don't you stand over there like you're me, and this is what you're going to do. And I role play it for them so that they can actually see what's expected of them. And they look at it and say, oh, well, that's not hard. I tell them, I will give you some direction. But I don't have people moving their nose to the left by one millimeter or something like that because you overpose people and and they feel over controlled and they feel uncomfortable. So I don't do it that way. Once the subject is seated, I tell them, I shoot a lot of what we used to call film. Okay. So instantly they go, Oh, this is not like school pictures where I have three and if I screwed up, People think that because that's their experience with photography As they walked in, sat down, click, click, click. And their their, their tongue was sticking out and it was in the yearbook and they um, were pointed at and laughed. Um, no, I shoot a lot of what we used to call film. I'll tell them I'll shoot 100, 200 frames if I need to. And all we need is one. So if you're not playing with this, if you're not making funny faces, if you're not laughing, then you're doing it wrong. This is a real easy process. And then I move back behind the camera. I tell them the first few frames are for me just to get my lighting squared away, right? If my lighting's not squared away by the time they hit the chair, I've done something really wrong. But what I'm trying to do is show them, pop, strobes go off, kind of fuddle. I muck around a little bit. I look, ah, I got to do this or do that. What that does is it helps them chill out just a little bit. They see that I'm a human, too. I might make mistakes. So my expectations of them are not extraordinarily high. And then I start having a conversation and I'll punctuate it with direction. Um, Point your nose at my hand. Let's try that. Right. In my head, I see how their faces are cut and I know how the light's going to fall. I don't say that. I say, hey, point your nose at my hand. Okay. Click, 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 click. You know, just move your eyes over to my camera. Okay. Click, 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 click. And just constantly shoot. Um, a common mistake that photographers make all the time drives me nuts is one, two, three. It's like, wow, you've just escalated their stress every time you do that. So that's how I approach it. And that's how I do it is, is Create that environment from the very beginning of how this is going to go, kind of um, decline the level of stress, make them think it's easy, and it is, um, and that they're not going to be overly stretched and overly demanded. And off we go.
1: For me, where this settles in is that this is an investment And not just the, you know, a financial investment and we are going to contract and pay a professional photographer, but there is so much time that is built into, you know, getting to that perfect visual to a you know and and it's the discussions that happen beforehand thinking through the whole creative process between what words are we going to use how are these going to come forth what visuals are going to be there and and then the development of that that visual whether it is the the a human subject or other you know it isn't just a couple point and shoot kind of things and out we go i mean there's really an investment in 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 the time it takes to find that perfect creative visual that goes along with it. And I think that was what, you know, for me in that discussion is that, and I know we do it, you just need 15 minutes to schedule that photo. And that's, you know, in a, if in a perfect scenario, you haven't even started with the camera yet in that 15 minutes, you know, there's a lot that has to prep that, that subject again, whether it's a physical piece of something or it's a human being in that. And I think where we, where we Need to be more instructive in our conversations is really thinking about the importance of that visual in the same way that we would anything else. We need to give it the benefit of the time and 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 the creative process that goes into it. And it's not just a you know click click and out the door. We really need to give um, you know the creative process its due in order for us to come out with the best you know successful you know creative piece at the end of the at the end of the project.
2: There are times where it's not a photographic solution. And, and I see people say, well, here we're going to run a picture of um, Mr. or Ms. Big. And uh, it, it's just going to be a quick headshot or something. And I think, you know, maybe that's not the tool you want to use there. Um, maybe, for example, if Mr. or Ms. Big is extremely uncomfortable in front of a camera, I'm going to encourage you to use an illustration because illustrations are cool and illustrations lie so you can you can make Mr. or Ms. Big look cool in an illustration that I can't do in a photograph because a photograph is too literal. So you have to start at the very beginning. Do we want a photograph? If so, what does the photograph look like? And can this individual pull off a photograph like that? If it's supposed to be moody and interesting, can they do that? Are they capable? And if they're not, Don't set them up for failure and don't set your photographer up for failure either because they're going to charge you one way or the other.
0: It seems to me as I listen to you talk that you're really onto something that I hadn't considered with regard to photography as an academic, as a cultural anthropologist. You know, I've studied representation and the idea that you are looking at these artistic expressions, these creations through the lens of symbol and meaning and light and et cetera, things of that nature. What you're also talking about, though, is managing experiences. And of course, not just the experience of the viewer of the image, although that's critically important. You are creating this work towards the emotional impact you expect it to have that is aligned with the strategic goals of the piece, the campaign, the whatever. But you're also working in the realm of the, the human experience of your subjects. And it occurred to me, it's really kind of s- simple, but profound at the same time, that you are talking about them as subjects, not objects. And that as the human subject of the photograph, they are, in a way, as we learn in simple grammar, they're the one that does the doing. (laughs) Like the subject of the sentence is is the one that does the action. And it's not that they're there as a static image. The photograph will capture a moment in time. It will freeze a moment in a way. Um, although what the photograph means to the viewer and what it meant to the subject of the photograph are not the same, obviously. We all have those disconnects ourselves. But you're designing these experiences for the human subject you photograph. And of course you do product photography too. That's a little easier. The products aren't nervous (laughs) about how they're going to look. But you're really working in this realm of human emotion and human experience. How do you put a price tag on that?
2: I put a big one on it. Uh, <laughs> the answer to your observation is absolutely yes. And it gets even more complicated when we start shooting video. And I'm doing a lot of that now. And, and for the same reasons, it's really fun. Uh, and I don't, I don't shoot movies. I don't shoot um, uh, crazy experiences. I'm not out shooting Red Bull motorcycle stunts. I help people tell stories. And so it's important to create in a video the same kind of environment that you refer to that allows that individual to tell their story both with words and with their nature, with the way that they sit, the way that they express, the way that they look or don't look at camera, the pacing of their speech, their intonation. It starts getting really complicated when you do that compared to still work. And and I love it. And it's it's very powerful medium. But, yeah, you are if it's properly done, you are factoring those things into the process. You're factoring it first from the choice. Do we want to feature um, uh, Robin Jones um, in a video? Yes or no. Well, then you have to think, does Robin Jones come across well on camera? Does Robin Jones have an interesting story to tell? If all those things click, then you have an opportunity to create something that's very powerful and to which you can attach your brand. And we're back to mind foolery.
1: Well, and I, again, for the, the this whole discussion on, on really, you know, thinking about the visual from, a, um, you know, from all angles, not just the, the, you know, this is the photo that I want or the video clip, the 30 second sound bite that I'm trying to achieve, but how does it, how does it factor into all the things that we're doing? How is the, the, the imagery going to, improve upon the words that we're saying, how is what we're doing, you know, lighting and sound and all sorts of um, elements that go into finding that that perfect visual is not done in a quick, you know, point and shoot sort of situation that we really need to give the, it the benefit of, you know, the the strategy and the discussion and that it is more than just, um, you know, that quick photo, but really the understanding from a, a professional like Paul, someone like yourself that gets in there and really helps guide the conversation and helps us as the words wordsmiths figure out how our visuals are going to um, impact and, and ideally improve, you know, ultimately what we're trying to do. So I'll give you one Opportunity here to kind of wrap up and um, sort of share some last words of wisdom here as we think about, you know, what the visual storytelling role is in our communication strategy.
2: I think the overarching thing, thing, factor is to be clear on your intent. What are you trying to accomplish? We're trying to position this company or this individual in a certain way. So how do we do that? How do we use all of our resources? The visual, the photography or the video is one portion of that. Um, How do you successfully integrate all of those moving parts to that one goal? And if you're clear from the beginning and you bring in the partners that help you accomplish that goal, then you're going to be fine. Don't make assumptions about what your goal is. Think about it carefully because it's the most important part of your strategy.
1: Paul, thank you so much for spending some time with us on Copper State of Mind. It was a real pleasure to, you know, talk visually from a, a how we want to think about our our communications strategy, and uh, we will include some additional information on how to find Paul and his work um, in our show notes and our blog posts that we do to accompany this. Adrian, it's always a pleasure to spend some time chatting with you as well, and. Uh, I think that is what's on my mind for this episode.
2: Thank you both. It's been a pleasure.